Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. This is episode number 89, the second show of season three. Today on Obsessed with Design, we have a special episode featuring a few fellow design podcasters. We're focused on their shows today, how they got started, and what makes them tick. Looking back, there have been many conversations that I've had over the past 80-some episodes, and a surprisingly large percentage of them were with fellow designers who are also podcast hosts. Coincidentally, these are all guests that I'm planning to get fresh conversations as part of season three in the coming months. But for now, I'd like to invite you to join me in the Wayback Machine to relive some of the great advice from my favorite design podcasters. This first clip is back from episode number 72 with the multi-talented content producing machine, Chris Doe. Chris is founder of Brand Strategy and design consultancy Blind in one of the sharpest voices in the design business. I discovered Chris when he interviewed another wise voice in the design biz, Blair Ends. In this clip, Chris discusses his business goals for his various content channels, which includes YouTube, podcasting, and sale of their products available online, which are generating passive income for his company. Chris discusses each of these channels and how each contributes to his bottom line. So without further ado, please enjoy first up Chris Doe. So the business strategy, and we have what we call our like a global business objective. And we have two things for, um, from the content side for the future. Our global business objective is to get to 200,000 subs on YouTube. That's a pretty straightforward thing. It means that we have to, at this point, average about 400 new subs a day. And we're on track to doing that. And theoretically, it's not a linear growth. It's an exponential growth. Mm -hmm. The more subs you have, the more subs you get. And so we're on track there. And the other goal is a revenue goal, which is to hit about $250,000 in revenue by the end of the year. And we're on track to do that because every month now we are breaking and smashing past the previous high water mark of what can we do in a month. So this is I don't know how, how long this can be sustained, but we're doing about $1,000 a day that's being generated as passive income from the content from the future. And that is and it's only um, growing. advertisers or that's um, no. YouTube views or what, what's what's No, the money out? is coming in from a couple different ways. And it's, it's like a, you have a lot of buckets collecting rain, right? So mm-hmm. the, the main way that we make money is we produce kits. And the kits are a collection of PDF documents, templates, and sometimes uh, they're they're grouped with videos. And so people buy that. So our most expensive kit is $489. And there's three such kits. And our least expensive product, I think, is something called, it's called AIB. I know what it's called, Agency in a Box. And it's $99. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to come up with like lower price points, but those are things that people buy and you can think of them as glorified uh, PDF books. Okay. Sure. But they're very specific. They're designed to help you solve a very real problem and they're very actionable and they're not a lot of words. Okay. So we're teaching people how to do what it is that we do. Mm, We have courses and that's not any different than any other courses you've seen. They're video based and there's some documents and some homework, that kind of stuff. We sell those too. And other ways that we make money is people just give us money, believe it or not. Hmm. So when we're on YouTube, there's there's something called a super chat function. 
and people donate. And so when initially we were doing it, we turned on the function without any kind of announcement or prompting, people just started to donate. And it's it's funny because, okay, the super chat window popped up. So we're going to answer your question. And there was no question. The question was, we love you. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And that really kind of warmed my heart, I have to say, because that was really about reciprocity and that they felt that we've given them so much value that now they feel compelled to do this. And it's just a wonderful feeling. And, and the amount of money has ranged from a dollar to a hundred dollars per person to donate. Oh, that's awesome. Now people are starting to donate just on our site without an episode just to say thank you. So this is how we're, <laughs> awesome. we're, we're winning. Yeah. And the last way that we make money is through coaching and membership. So we have a private Facebook group. It's for entrepreneurs. It's about 160 people. They pay 75 bucks a month to be in that group and to get access to one call a week with me in terms of a, a webinar. And they get to meet these other wonderful people from all over the world doing different things. And it's pretty awesome to see. I feel like a very proud parent there because there are natural collaborations that are happening between these people. And so they're starting to work together so that they can fill gaps that they don't currently offer. And that's a wonderful thing for me to see. I don't know about you, but I hope someday to be doing half of the things that Chris is already doing very well. In particular, I'd like to crack that YouTube nut pretty soon. Wish me luck. Now here's a clip from Stefan Engo from the Well-Made Podcast talking about what makes his show tick. Yeah, the thing that I try to do is there are so many great podcasts that go into people's like origin stories um, that I tell my listeners, just go listen to those. Those are great. Um, there's a lot of them out there. They're, they're really good. Or there's you know the great discontent. I love those guys and they do just a great job. Um, in the written medium of going through people's background. But so I try to focus more on nitty gritty, just practical uh, advice or philosophy about design where, where we can try and skip past the like the origin story, even though that stuff is usually incredibly interesting. But, you know, I had Tobias Frere Jones on the show who is one of my heroes in typography and you could literally, I mean, I, you could do a 12 hour, you could do an entire series of podcasts just about like every single typeface that he's designed and, and how he got involved in it. And his family is fascinating. And so there's so much there. And a lot of that stuff has been covered in other places that um, sometimes I feel like it gets in the way of whatever uh, those people are really thinking about right now. So I, I try to focus a little bit more on that side of things. I love how he talks about how other shows talk about their origin stories. And frankly, that's one of my favorite questions. So I'm glad Stefan's leaving that for some of us to discuss. Up next, our longtime pal, Prescott Perez Fox of the Busy Creator Podcast. He's one of the designers that I know who is most obsessed with tools, processes, tactics, and techniques to help you be your best. Prescott catches us up with how his podcast has changed over the years, how he meets other podcasters in real life, and what he might do differently if he were starting today. We also geek out a little bit of inside baseball level podcasting details. I hope you enjoy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, also speaking of side projects, um, I started this year, 2016, the New York City Podcast Meetup. And that's an in-person event series. And it's funny because I started it because 
I was just tired of online groups only. And it's so hard to make connections on Facebook and whatever. So I started this in-person group and it's been really cool to meet new folks in real life. But now I have another thing to do. And man, I like, I really need some help. (laughs) So if anyone is listening in New York, by the way, and you want to get involved at any level, like marketing, event planning, whatever, like please get in touch because I could definitely use the help and you can take all the credit, believe me. (laughs) So anyway, sidebar, um, the busy creator, right? It's almost three years old as we record this midst of planning now the 100th episode, which is going to be a live event in Brooklyn in uh, January 2017. And it's it's been an interesting ride. Yes, that's a milestone. It's just numerically, but it's also like a whole chapter of my life now. I'm like, geez, this thing has been with me a long time. And it's only finally starting to get traction in the wider world. And I haven't done a lot of paid advertising, paid traffic. Um, I honestly haven't done that much outreach because you know, that just never felt natural to me, but also depending on everything else that was going on, uh, it was like, this is really not a good time to start like blasting my message across the media, you know, but in the last six months I have seen traffic increase. And in November I had my first month that was over 10,000 downloads, which is kind of a cool milestone because I actually scaled back my publication schedule to only every other week instead of weekly, uh, which I was doing for for sort of a period of time there. Actually, when I interviewed you the first time, it was on a weekly schedule. Um, So that's been interesting to see how you can actually increase traffic with fewer, better episodes. And some of that's just natural, right? You become a better interviewer, you become a better editor and a better sound producer. Like I got a mic, you know, that sounds a little bit better and you just get more comfortable uh, not only interviewing, but even when you're recording the intros and the outros, uh, which you still kind of weirdly embarrass me, like, you know, and it's funny because the interview is 45 minutes or something and the outro is only 30 seconds, but somehow it would be like more embarrassing to talk to a mic in, in an empty room than it would be to talk to another person. I can absolutely relate to that. Maybe while we're geeking out on podcasts um, and your gear, tell us what, what kind of mic did you get? Like what, what kind of upgrades did you make to the studio this year? Ooh, let's see. Well, I've had my mic for a while, and this is an Audio Technica. I think it's a 2005 a- ATX 2005 USB, something like that. And it has USB and XLR connections. So for a long time, I was using it just with USB. And then I finally got a mixing board, and now I'm using as a uh, XLR. Oh my goodness. How did I just, I just said it, and yet I forgot it. <laughs> um. So yeah, but I got I got a mixing board. It's a, a Zadie 10 ZEDI, and I forget the manufacturer, Harman and something, I don't know. But <laughs> the reason I bought this particular model was because it's not just a mixing board, it's also a USB interface. And believe it or not, even in 2016, it's really rare to have any kind of audio device that is actually a USB interface. So mm-hmm. a lot of them will connect They'll connect via USB, but it'll only be two channels. So it'd essentially be one track stereo or two tracks mono, which is so weird because even on a podcast, you figure that's two tracks right there. So are you telling me that the only way I can record on separate tracks is if I have one person pan to the left and one person pan to the right? Mm -hmm. Like that's ridiculous because if you're trying to listen to it, it's going to drive you insane to listen to one person on one ear. So it's unbelievable that this is a feature, but I bought this mixer and it has four tracks in four tracks out on usb so this means i can record myself and another person on skype 
and uh, potentially two more people sort of in the room or whatever uh, on separate tracks. And if you're editing your own show, that is a huge advantage to have them on multiple tracks. Um, so that was really the main thing about about that setup. And I'm still just recording in my bedroom and I don't really have any soundproofing equipment. So I kind of improvise a little bit, right? You draw the curtains. Um, I have like one pillow that I sort of stuff at the end of my desk, like next to the corner of the room because corners are the worst for reverb. So mm-hmm. I like to I do that. I set it up a little bit. I make sure the radiator is off because I have like a steam heat, you know, an old Brooklyn apartment. But it's still pretty DIY and, and I'm okay with that so far. And um, the next step, I guess, would be probably not the microphone, but to to learn how to do compression better and to really get with some golden ear type people and have them analyze my peak levels and all the really technical stuff. Cause I think it does matter a little bit. Like if your show can sound better, can sound more consistent. And if it can sound better in a car, for example, um, that stuff does matter. And I think it helps attract listeners in the long run. Yeah. Knowing, um, all those dials sure look like they're a lot of fun to turn, but I don't have any idea where they're supposed to point to. So luckily we have a, an editor who actually knows what she's doing and she's, she's a legit sound person. So we always talk about Jen at the end of the show, but shout out to Jen Eds for, uh, for all of our great edits. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, your show sounds great. I mean, I mean, you would be surprised or maybe not <laughs> about how bad some shows sound like sonically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's one I like to listen to. And I, I always give these gals a shout out because the content is really great. It's called Own It, the podcast. And I, I think it's ownitthepodcast.com. And these two, I mean, are they using some kind of 1930s telegram? I, maybe. <laughs> it, the sound is so bootleg, <laughs> but I, it's good content and you sort of you get used to the people. But if it was the first time I was hearing the show, I don't know if I could listen to that because there's so much out there and it's crazy. I mean, we, you know, we talk about obsessions, but that is one thing I'm definitely obsessed with is new podcasts and listening. And you listen not only as a consumer, but as a producer. So you're listening for multiple things at the same time and, and kind of analyzing people's interview techniques as you're listening to it, uh, which is always interesting. And, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like when you go to the movies, you know, you're watching it as a creative person as well. And you're thinking about costume and art direction and, and title sequences and what kind of fonts they're using and all those type of things, which I used to think would make it worse. You know, like I would, I would think for a musician, like how can you even listen to just a, a regular song on the radio? Cause yeah. you know how it's made, you know, how simple it is, you know, how, whatever, how stupid the chords are. And, and, but maybe it gives you a better appreciation of it as well, at the same time. So clearly if you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, there's a few good tips in here to think about. Up next host of the powder keg podcast, Matt Hunkler talked with me about building a community of tech entrepreneurs, designers, developers, and investors in the Midwest. So I thought it was only fitting to ask him this question. Well, maybe to, to shift gears only ever so slightly. So the majority of the, the audience here at Obsessed with Design, um, as the name might imply, is, is often designers and creative professionals. And I think whether we have, um, you know, Jason Freed or Aaron Draplin to blame or somebody else, you know, there are definitely some great cases of designers who had worked for an agency who decided to, you know, to use yours to scratch their own itch and create their own product. And, and it's definitely been uh, a trend or maybe even a, an ingenious thing for 
designers to pursue. So as you've seen other designers turned entrepreneurs, you know, what would your, what would your words of advice be to, to those listeners who have that thing in the back of their head that they're, they've thought about doing, but they've never really put any real effort towards? Do it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the, that's the one habit that, uh, for whatever reason got instilled in my head. I was, I was never afraid to try things and just take the jump. And of course I fall on my face quite a bit, uh, as a result of that, when you're, when you're, uh, not as risk averse and you're willing to just kind of go for it, put yourself out there. Uh, they're not all going to be home runs, of course, but in order to hit home runs, you've got to swing, you got to take, take some swings at things. And I think, um, for the designers and, uh, potential entrepreneurs, it's like, start, start with one thing. You don't have to get your corporate identity down. You don't have to figure out what your core values are. You don't have to figure out what this looks like in five years. Start with one thing you're excited about and make sure it's the thing you're actually excited about. Because if you're an entrepreneur, it means you're going to be doing it a lot. And like, I mean, a lot, you know, hundred hours a week, uh, in the early days, if you really want to stand out and succeed. And so, um, that, that, my advice would be get started with one thing that you're really passionate about. And it's, it's, you'll know it's the right thing when you can't put it out of your mind. It keeps coming up. It keeps coming up in, you know, in the shower, right. Or on a run or <laughs> when you're, when you're sketching in your notebook and, and listening to music and you're, you find yourself kind of meandering in thought and going back to the same idea. Those are the things you want to try doing an entrepreneurial endeavor in. It's, it's the things you care enough about to think about. And um, my recommendation is while you've got the enthusiasm, create as much as you can. And it's not all going to be right. But when you've got that enthusiasm where you're thinking about it all the time and you're excited about it, don't like wait to get a bunch of opinions on the early side. Like Go create go create stuff, go, uh, mock up a prototype, go, uh, develop out a website, write out a thesis, you know, create as much as you can, because most people kind of have this window of creative energy around an idea. And what happens a lot of times is I, I see particularly in the Midwest, right? Because, uh, for whatever reason, our kind of culture and core values, um, is not as confrontational or like willing to just like jump outside of our normal box or norms. And so I think what, what I see a lot is people come to a verge event and th this is a very small segment, but I see I've seen this in myself before too. So I want to point it out is that, uh, you know, people come like two, three, four months in a row talking about the same idea. And it's like, listen, Joe or Fred or Susie or whoever it is, you know, don't come back to a Verge event until you've tried this or don't talk about this idea again. <laughs> you know, like it, <laughs> the, the value is not in the idea. It's in the product and the value that you can create with that product. And so, um, the, the thing I recommend is while you've got that energy and that gas in the tank and you're like enthused about an idea, like create as much freaking content or designs or websites or software or sales decks as you can, uh, because that has a limited window. And eventually you're going to come across someone that's going to tell you that's stupid. And you want to have enough kind of like invested down that road to be like, 
well, you think that's stupid. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? Uh, and that's how that's how entrepreneurs kind of get an idea off the ground is they're willing to take feedback, change it, you know, test and and grow something. It's very, very rare. In fact, I don't know if I've ever encountered anyone in the wild that was like, this is the business I'm gonna build. And then they went and built that business exactly. It's just very, very rare uh, to find that person. Uh, and in general, you're gonna get feedback from the client or the customer or the market. And you've gotta be able to change and adapt. Uh, so get started and start building something that's valuable or not. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, encouragement to, to build and get started and, and grow something, uh, I have a feeling that, uh, listeners who check out the powder keg podcast are going to hear similar con- conversations to the one we're having right now. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, um, at an even bigger scale, right? So the thing I really wanted to find with uh, Powder Keg is those entrepreneurs who found what they were good at and amplified that. They found the res- the raw resources they needed to, you know, kind of fill in the gaps in their powder keg, so to speak, and invest more fuel of what they're really good at. Maybe they're a great connector and ambassador. Maybe they're a great technologist and they just build amazing software. They were able to like augment their superpowers while kind of building their, um, building up against their weaknesses. And they found the right time and place to really set off their powder keg, so to speak, uh, to make the biggest impact on the world. And so we've kind of uh, uncovered the stories of these non-traditional entrepreneurs who have just made a massive impact on the world. And some of those are with a design background. Some of those are with a technology background. Um, and then we've also found some of those investors who, you know, maybe they were originally entrepreneurs, but now they're investing in companies. And so they share some of their advice on what they look for uh, in entrepreneurs and what they're seeing in witnessing all these different entrepreneurs kind of grow and scale their businesses in areas outside of Silicon Valley. If that clip gave you some inspiration to start your own thing, tweet to Ad Obsessed Show and let us know what you're going to tackle in 2018. Stefan Ango proves that he is truly obsessed with design by sharing with us the myriad of things he's most obsessed with right now. Right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm such a curious person. I, I keep tabs on like hundreds of different things. Like some of the things are, are, are super specific and others are just general trends that I'm thinking about. Um, one thing that I'm, I'm really fascinated about is comedy. I don't, it, <laughs> this might be a weird curveball, but I think that I took some improv classes in LA <laughs> here where it's like, I think everybody in Los Angeles has taken improv classes. Um, <laughs> but you know, I thought it would be a fun experience, but I'm into comedy podcasts and, and, and what I've discovered is I think com- comedians and designers are actually like very similar types of people We're we're always out there like looking for problems mm-hmm. and looking at things and saying, Oh, that's so silly that we do things that way. Except comedians get up on stage and say and point that out and say boy our society is stupid and then designers are involved in maybe trying to fix that somehow so that's something that i'm interested in i don't know i, I mean I, I could go into a million different areas cooking i love cooking i um i am interested in minimalistic lifestyles 
my co-founder lives in an Airstream. And I, I don't know if I could do that mm-hmm. yet, but, um, but I, I'm fascinated with how do you reduce the number of things that you, that you use, um, how many objects that you need to own. I'm yeah. fascinated with filmmaking. I really would love to make more movies. <laughs> I've made a couple little things here and there, but I would love to do more of that. Um, and then there's, you know, simple things that every designer is into like pens and I don't know, notebooks and stuff like that, that I geek out about or cameras and, and that kind of stuff. So when you talk about the, the comedian thing and how they th- see things that are ridiculous and maybe that's similar to how we see, are there, are there things that you see out there that drive you crazy right now? Are there things that you look at, uh, maybe specifically in the packaging world or just maybe more broadly in the startup or software or design world that kind of drive you nuts? Hmm. I, I, I don't know where to take that because I feel like I could go in, in two very different directions. One is like existential almost. <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and I feel like uh, I just think a lot about um, the fact that nobody seems to address the fact that we're like uh, a speck of dust in space. <laughs> <laughs> and like some people think about it, but like I'm a huge fan of Carl Sagan and like the pale blue dot thing. And, and that has like totally informed my perspective on design. Like I started off thinking that I would be, here's how I compare it. I think a lot of design these days, something that frustrates me with it is it's very good at problem solving, but not very good at problem finding. Mm. And that a lot of design designers get it's fun to solve a problem to solve a problem it is fun to do that uh for a certain type of person if your brain is wired that way it's like solving a puzzle you know you you get into the intricacies of how does this whole thing fit together but that is kind of a trap that you can get stuck into and then when you see people complain about you know do we need another app that helps you do this or do we need another you know, whatever it is, do we need another X? Um, that's a, that's an actual problem, I think. Uh, and I kind of moved away from that as an industrial designer. Uh, you know, I'm fascinated with designing chairs and utensils and electronics, but do we need another one of those is a question that I always ask myself. But if you can get good at problem finding, then maybe you can get involved in some things that maybe are more meaningful. That, and that's something that we don't really teach in design school. We don't teach people to go look for good problems. We just say like, hey, you know, take this toaster and redesign it. Make it different or better or more suited <laughs> to an audience. And that seems like not... I don't know. That, that, that doesn't seem like the right approach. And problem finding is not a... Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your listeners will tell me they had a great class in problem finding or, or found a way to uh, learn that. But it's a hard skill to learn that I don't think we're teaching. Now, hopefully that helped you scratch your existential itch. Back to the busy creator, Prescott talks about if he were going to create his own agency, what are some of the cultural things he'd be looking at in a partner? You know, I just had this conversation earlier because there's another fellow here who's a veteran 
freelancer and he he's more of like a retoucher and video guy so he's a, I, perhaps a little more technical but he he's you know been through the war just like me and um we we're talking about this about how you've seen so many different places you, you kind of have to copy the good and hopefully leave aside the bad and one thing i think is very important especially for that small to mid-sized company is that there has to be a number two right so you have this character at the top and there has to be someone else who can kind of run the show because it it's either going to create a bottleneck or worse if the person's just not there it's like a bottle cork it, there's no decision and <laughs> i mean it's amazing to, I have to see been that like, cork guy by the way ah yeah oh i didn't want to tag you with that but um I, I guess it's one thing if it's nine people, but once you get to like I've seen twice my, with my own eyes, I've seen companies that are about a hundred people, and they essentially have one person in charge, and you know that's no longer the job of a founder or a CEO, and but it gets to a certain size, and you really have to be the executive, and you have to sort of solve million dollar problems, quote unquote, and you have to be six months ahead of everyone else, and and you're working on on the big picture, but it's like at the same time, who can solve the $600 problem, right? Who can sign for a renewal of the copier machine that, you know, that is $500 a month or some, something, some like medium size mm -hmm. expense. Like, I mean, that's a very persnickety example, but, um, that's a long way to answer the question. There has to be someone with you. Like, I don't think I could ever start a firm by myself and just call it like Prescott Inc. You know what I mean? And, um, I don't really want to also because I've sort of discovered my own blind spots, uh, essentially the, the new biz and client acquisition side, um, have been really tough for me. And I, you know, it's tough to admit as well that I think a lot of the conversations about professional design and not just graphics, but web design, architecture, fashion, whatever it is, like you go to these conferences and the people on stage are basically saying some version of, don't you just hate it when all these clients call you all at once and, and you're sitting there in the audience and you're like, uh, <laughs> that never happens. You know what I'm saying? And so I can imagine myself teaming up with someone who really loves the hunt and is essentially a salesperson. Um, and you kind of have to do that now, right? Because if mm -hmm. you want to be a craftsman and if you want to really geek out as I do, and it sounds like you do as well, um, you, you have to concede that certain things you're just not going to be good at. And that sounds really obvious, but that is something I see a lot as well. Um, but another thing, so number one, don't start it by yourself or don't be the bottleneck. And then another thing is that on a, a perhaps a more practical level, like you really got to have these systems in place. You got to have workflows. You got to have these rituals for when a project begins, what happens? Does it get a number? Does it get a folder? Does it, you know, do you hang a thing on a wall and then pull it down six months later when you finish? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You make something up. But like those rituals are really important because they show everyone that something has happened, that this matters and there's now a start to something new. And so it's a little bit of a psychological hack, but you'd be su surprised at how many places everything just kind of continuously, slowly oozes forward and you're never quite sure like where the boundaries are, where something begins or ends, or whether it's gone to review with a client or whether it's gone to internal review. And so I, I think to instill a sense of crispness, if that's a word, um, is very important. And part of that, I think, comes from having someone who can act like the sergeant major and can kind of crack the whip and say like, yo, you didn't save this file correctly. You didn't put it in the right folder. 
you didn't label it version two. And I mean, those are all negative things, but that's also the mm-hmm. person that you can turn to to keep everything moving. And the, the person that is going to lead those rituals and is going to really hold everyone together when things get tough. Um, so that's an interesting point of view from a studio culture, right? It's like, who's the veteran that's keeping everything moving? Who's that grizzled old sergeant major who's who's not trying to win awards necessarily, who's not trying to you know write some kind of PhD thesis on a daily level, but is really just kicking butt um, and teaching. There's a culture of teaching that that the best companies do well, not just design firms, but you know you could see this at a law firm or something where if you come in as an associate lawyer, like some places you're just there to work, but some places they kind of tell you, Hey, this is a long arc and one day you'll be a partner and we'll teach you, you know what I'm saying? And that I think is a good philosophy that more professions can adopt. Prescott also started doing some speaking in the past year through his live workshops. So if you're interested in hearing more about what he has to say, head over to busycreator.com to learn more. Here's another clip from our friend, Chris Doe talking about why he's able to get better results than others and how his business coach has challenged him to achieve more. Now, his whole thing is, he's like, you know, Chris, I've been uh, coaching people for many, many years. And the problem is this, I would be out of a job if I told somebody to do something and they just did it. The, the thing exactly. is, you have to help people through that resistance, the, the, the pain point of change and the idea that your world is going to be up turned upside down for a little while. Well, one of the reasons why I think I've done so well with my business coach and achieve things that other people haven't been able to do is because I'm just willing to try. He would say, go do this. And sometimes your initial reaction is that's cheesy. That's stupid. That'll never work. Or I don't understand it. Like explain more. I'm just like, okay, let's just do it. I'm not attached to anything that I've done before. What I am attached to is results. So if Mm -hmm. I don't like what's going on now, I'm willing to do just about anything to see if the results would be different. Change the input and the output might be different. I fully agree with Chris and highly recommend if you're not working with a mentor or a business coach, this would be a great new initiative to consider in 2018. Back to Matt Hunkler. It's only fitting to end the show with what he's most obsessed with right now. Right now, I'm most obsessed with podcasting. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the medium. I have been for a really long time, even back in 2007, um, when I was quote unquote reading the four hour work week, I actually listened to the four hour work week. Uh, so I'm a huge audiophile. Um, I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to a lot of podcasts and, and did while I was walking around the IU campus back in 2007 through 2009. And, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the medium and getting better at, um, getting to the heart of people's stories. And so I've been spending every spare moment, um, which is limited, but uh, every spare moment I'm listening to podcasts and not just for the content in them, but you know how you, Josh, interview your guests on Obsessed Show and how uh, Tim Ferriss is changing the way he interviews people on the Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, how other great podcasters and storytellers are bringing stories out of other people so that they can, they can get to the core of the, the story, the core morsel of someone's breakthrough moment. And, you know, people I'm looking at are, are people like Larry King, who's just an amazing interview. I, I went through a phase where I watched every episode of Inside the Actors Studio uh, earlier uh, this year. And then I've also got um, 
you know, other entrepreneurs who have their own podcasts uh, in my world. And I'm learning what I like, what I don't like, and, uh, and really trying to perfect and hone the craft of, of interviewing and sharing people's story at scale. Because I think while they're pod, while podcasting is the hot thing right now and more and more people are getting into it, I think that there's so many untold stories that I've come across just in my adventures with Verge, uh, you know, speaking uh, on stages around the country and, and all over the world now um, that I'm, I'm passionate about getting those stories out. And so that's, that's the thing I'm obsessed with. And if I could spend 24 seven on that, uh, and I didn't have to sleep, that would be amazing because I'm, I'm just so, so jazzed about it. Jump out of bed in the morning, getting, getting ready for whoever I'm talking to that day. And how perfect is it that he's obsessed with podcasting? I feel like it goes without saying that our hero, Debbie Millman wasn't featured in today's episode And she, like many of our other favorite design podcasters, absolutely, quote unquote, make our list of best design podcasts. I'm hoping to get to a part two here later this year. And I'm also hoping to get Debbie back on the show. Many of you know, she was our very first episode of season one. So if you haven't caught that before, check out Debbie Millman on episode one of Obsessed Show. Okay, kids, that's show number 89 officially in the books. If you haven't been to our website recently, pop over to obsessedshow.com to sign up to become an Obsessed Show Insider and receive our email updates. We'll keep you on the loop on what's happening with the show and give you some cool opportunities to interact with our community. Of course, you can get all of today's show notes at our website, obsessedshow.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. While you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have a rating and review and help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. And our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.